The Far North teacher James Parker was sent to prison in the past week for an indefinite period for years of sexual offending against boys in his care. He leaves behind a school and a community wrestling with anger and guilt. This Radio New Zealand Insight programme asks how it is that a sexual predator was able to operate in their midst for 14 years undetected. In the High Court in Whangarei this week, James Robertson Parker was sentenced to preventive detention. He'll be in prison for at least seven years after admitting 74 charges and he won't be released until the authorities believe he's no longer a risk. He'll be on parole for the rest of his life and if he puts a foot wrong, he'll be sent back to prison. At the sentencing, Parker's lawyer, Alex Wittenhanna, suggested his client shouldn't be considered in the same league as sex offenders who use force and brutality. Through the long, lonely nights in his prison cell, Parker is constantly haunted by what he has done to the people whose trust he has betrayed. Through his incarceration and involvement in the court processes, including the psychiatric and psychological examines, for the different reports have been prepared for the court, he has developed a deepening understanding of the psychological impact of his offending upon the victims. Parker is deserving of some mercy. At 38, he is too young to lock up and throw away the key, which would be the effective consequence of a sentence of preventive detention. He does not deserve the sense of helplessness and hopelessness inherent in an indeterminate sentence. But Justice Heath took a different view. Past behaviour is the best predictor of future behaviour. In the absence of objective evidence of a greater insight into the harm caused by your offending, particularly in view of the deceitful and manipulative ways you behaved in the past, I believe the risk of committing similar offences after release is significant. You were warned to stay away from young boys and to keep yourself safe. The fact that you were prepared to continue with your offending despite the investigations that had occurred and in the knowledge that you would ultimately be caught is extremely troubling. Between 1999 and 2012, Parker repeatedly sexually assaulted more than 20 pubescent boys in his own home. And those are just the ones who've disclosed the abuse. The police say there are others who won't speak of it. The revelations have shattered families and the soul-searching continues. How did he get away with it? How did he con parents and colleagues into believing he was a gift to the community and to needy boys? I'm Lois Williams and this insight asks if the authorities failed Parker's victims and has anything changed in the wake of his offending that might protect children from another James Parker? Spring has come early to Pamapuria this year. The sun shines, there are daffodils in the green paddocks around the little school on State Highway 1. Staff are planting strawberries and pots at the front door. And the children shriek and dash and tumble in the playground as if nothing bad had ever happened there. But this time last year, the mood was very different. The commissioner who's been running the school since Parker's arrest, Larry Forbes, says when Parker admitted the first 49 offences and named the boys, the emotional dam burst. We had a very, very difficult um, final term with the behaviour of particularly those boys who most affected by the abuse and by the aftermath of that abuse. You know, some of them were in counselling, some were in... Some of them were very angry and expressed that anger through being quite um, 
quite violent with each other, with others being very... Some took out their anger on the teachers and other adults in the school at times. Uh, it was a very, very difficult time for them and for the school. The angry boys have now moved on to secondary school and the deputy principal, whose secrets they kept, has been jailed. But before his fall, James Parker had risen to be a respected and successful teacher. When he arrived at Pamapuria in 1999, he had only provisional registration and he'd fallen out with his first principal, Fiona Lovett-Davis, at nearby Oturu School. She'd refused to sign off on his full registration because his teaching skills, apart from kapahaka, were not up to scratch. And she wasn't happy that he was having boys to stay at his home. Fiona Lovett-Davis told Radio New Zealand last year that Parker's then-girlfriend, a teacher aide at Oturu, had told her a disturbing tale. Children were staying, they slept in the living room, and he would leave the bed she shared with him to go and sleep with the children in the lounge. And I reported it to the youth aid worker in Kaitaia Police. I gave verbatim to the youth worker the story that I'd heard from the teacher aide's mouth. Fiona Lovett-Davis went on to say that the youth aid worker, Constable Brian Camplin, turned up, told Parker he didn't look like a paedophile, shoved him around in the car park and left. She believes that if police had acted differently in 1999, years of abuse might have been prevented. Brian Camplin tells a different story. He says Fiona Lovett-Davis never mentioned sleepovers, but asked him to tell Parker he shouldn't put his reputation at risk by being alone with children. Um, Fiona gave me a call um, as regards being an ex-school teacher myself, wanting to know what could be done about Mr Parker, a new teacher at the school, um, who seemed to be a bit naive as to, you know, the old teacher's ethos, don't leave yourself open by being alone in the classroom or in any situation with children. Fiona indicated that uh, she had told him this basic rule, he seemed to be flying in the face of it. Um, pressure I got was of a, a very zealous young teacher, fresh out of teacher's college, keen to um, ingratiate himself to the community and the staff, and uh, it's going to be all good things to everyone. So I agreed to go up to the school and uh, speak to him about that, and which is exactly what happened, I think within a day, if not the same day. And uh, I met Mr Parker at the school, beside the bus bay, and uh, he was very, uh, very accepting of my advice and indicated that he didn't really think of it like that, which surprised me because it is something they drum into your teacher's college. Brian Kaplan says he did not grab or shove Mr Parker, and the police say that Parker, in a recorded interview, has since backed that up. But he admits he probably did say that Parker didn't look like a paedophile. In fact, there was no spectre of paedophilia that I knew of whatsoever, and... Um, I don't remember saying that, but I know my work practice very well and it's exactly the sort of thing I would have said if I was approaching a delicate subject. Thinking it was just an overzealous young teacher, that was my flippant and ice-breaking comment, but there was no spectre at the time. It was just one of those things you say, does it jocular banter? But that is exactly the sort of thing I know I do. I just mentioned to him, look, you've got to cover yourself, mate, you know, all sorts of, you're a young male teacher and all sorts of things could be said about you. Fiona Lovett-Davis later told the Teachers' Registration Board that Parker's registration should be deferred and that he was sleeping marae-style with boys at his home and showering with them. Brian Camplin says if he'd known that, he would have handed the matter straight to the child protection detectives. 
In the event, Parker gained the sympathy of Oturu parents by telling them the principal was picking on him and trying to ruin his career. Within a year, worn down by hostility, she'd left the school and he'd found himself a job at Pamapuria. There, his career flourished. The principal, Stephen Hovell, signed off on his full registration and the Kapahaka group he started soon became the talk of the north. The chief executive of the Ngati Kahurunanga, Anaheda Herbert, says Parker was widely admired for his dedication to the children and his talent. And I thought he was brilliant. Um, I saw him once in my life and that's when my mukapuna's Kapahaka group at Ahipara um, was performing for the very first time. Ahipara being had not had a kapahaka group for a long time and Jamie brought his group through from Palmapuria to support them as they went around the Switzer home, the Kohangareo in one of the couple of schools. And I thought, who's that? Gosh, you know, chair. He looks like a parker, but gee, he's got those kids eating out of his hand on the guitar and performing. And somebody said, that's the kapahaka leader for Palmapuria. Now, I knew that they had a good reputation as being terrific performers. Parker bought himself a lifestyle block. And soon, children were asking to spend weekends there, working with animals, riding quad bikes and eating good food. He's known to have had several affairs with women. Single mothers especially were grateful for the attention he showed their boys. One has told me she thanked Parker for being a positive role model and for teaching her boys to hunt and fish. She says after his abuses were revealed, she was so angry with herself she began drinking heavily and her boys took to punching holes in the wall. But most people had no reason to suspect anything was wrong, especially after Parker was appointed deputy principal and married a local woman with two children of her own. The police found no evidence that she knew of the abuse and she since left town. Robin Shepherd is a retired principal who farms at Pamapuria and teaches occasionally at the school. He says Parker would often seek advice about his land and he used to lend the keen young teacher a bull or farm equipment. Yeah, I saw him in the weekend when uh, he was with children and uh, they seemed to really enjoy being with him. Uh, That was the impression I got. There was never any uh, signal that I picked up on that there was anything untoward happening. And uh, I've seen him working with children uh, in public and in the school situation where he was a very firm disciplinarian. Uh, He didn't stand any nonsense from kids. So there was a bit of a um, Dr Jekyll and Mr Hyde arrangement there where at times, uh, apparently, he was something else. But um, what I saw was somebody who was keeping those kids in order and getting them to toe the line. Robin Shepherd says he always thought he was a good judge of character and he wonders now at the way James Parker was able to fool him. But the Kaitaia detective Mark Dalzell says even the boys Parker abused thought he was wonderful. You know, well, our re- recurring theme throughout the investigation when talking to the boys was Jamie's a great guy. He's a good guy. I, I love doing this. He does this for me. All positive stuff, but then you had the negative stuff when the lights went out. So he had all this positive stuff on one side and the negative stuff on the other. And, um, you know, the kids got on really well with him and he formed those relationships and they were strong relationships. 
But a veteran sex abuse counsellor, Patsy Henderson, who's now working with some of the Pamapuria families, says sex offenders are experts in deception. Sex offenders are the best con men in the world, you know. Um, They pick their victims on the whole really well. Um, Mostly they pick victims who who won't tell, or if there's a group of them, they're part of the secret, the dirty secret game or whatever that was happening with this guy. And then the kid feels part of it. And also, this, this guy wasn't all bad. He obviously, the kids liked him in a lot of levels, and there were fun things to do that they didn't have at home. And sleepovers at his place were really cool. And Mark Dalzell says Parker worked very hard to impress the people he wanted to. He does have a uh, certain amount of uh, charisma, He's quite an energetic person in his own way. He's a reasonably likeable and talkative person. His interpersonal skills, uh, I think, are, are, quite, are quite good. He's very good, at, in my view, at relating to people, uh, whether that's children or adults. And those uh, attributes have stood him in good stead to create for himself um, what I would describe as a, as a target-rich environment. He was a, he was a person that was doing everything he possibly could to help people. He was involved, he was well respected uh, in, the, in the community, certainly at the school. Little did everyone know that he was a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. And that disguise worked with most people, but not all. Parker's charm fell decidedly flat on one queer, Wairete Walters, a former health educator. The Pamapuria matriarch says she took an instant dislike to the Pākehā teacher surrounded by his young kapahaka pupils. I hated the bugger on sight. I couldn't even shake his hand. And he hated me. He never liked me once quite. There was something about him. It was like looking at a bloody snake. And I don't know why I hadn't met him before. I just disliked him on sight. He knew. But, um, yes, it has been devastation. That woman down there... She was the one that on news on the on the television, who, you know, she thought he was great. The worst came, came later. Her grandson, who wasn't he at the time, mm. he came back. You know, he's sort of nineteen now, and he'd heard about this. He went straight to the police, and he was a victim. She changed her bloody mind then. The Pamapuria commissioner Larry Forbes says there were signs that Parker's behaviour was unhealthy and they were visible in the school itself. The report he commissioned by the independent barrister Robin Arthur listed a number of these. There were lots and lots of red flags. But over time, what was abnormal became normalised practice. And people got so used to these behaviours that they, they almost, not almost, they became normal practice. Some of them were perfectly... You know, were applaudable, but, but a lot of them were certainly not and were not acceptable and were not appropriate and should have been dealt to. Some of them are little things, like, um, you know, he, he wouldn't wear shoes um, in class. It was very casual in the way he dressed. That on its own wasn't the issue, um, but, but it, when you put them all together, it created a culture where degrees of difference contributed to a picture that was at the end was a very unhealthy one. You do not, in most schools, walk into a classroom where a year seven or eight boy is sitting on the knee of the teacher. That's not a practice I would expect to see in, in any school and be accepted. 
and yet that was common practice, that, that he would have that level of familiarity with some of the boys. And the little anecdote that was in the Robin Arthur review report about the, again, at the school camp where one of the boys who was in the same tent as James Parker coming out of the tent, shouting out, I'm wearing James's boxes. That, that kind of, it's just another one of those red flags that you think this is not right, we need to do something about it. And there were a whole raft of things of that nature that c- contributed to this normalising of abnormal behaviour. Larry Forbes says one person in the school was professionally responsible for allowing that to happen, and that was the principal, Stephen Hovell. The biggest red flag of them all came in 2009, when a boy spoke out about Parker's sexual advances during sleepovers. Parker was stood down while the police investigated with child, youth and family. He vigorously denied everything. And when it came to the evidential interview, the boy told the police he had lied. Detective Dalzell says despite the best efforts of skilled people, they couldn't get the boy or his friends to talk. He says the boy's family and Parker himself had a hand in that. Well, we now know that uh, there was some interactions with uh, Mr Parker at Palmer Career School. It's evident that there was a conversation between him and the, the child. Exactly what was said we don't, don't know. We've got a couple of different accounts, but... Um, I think one of the uh, overriding reasons in, in the case of this boy was that uh, there was some pressure from within his own family and obviously very, very much misguided in, in hindsight. And I think that was the overriding reason that he decided to say that nothing had happened. It was certainly a conversation and there's mention of an apology by Mr Parker. Mark Dalzell says the police and child, youth and family had to abandon their investigation into Parker at that point. Without a formal complaint, they couldn't continue to question children or Parker. They wrote to the Pamapuria principal, Stephen Hovell, saying the boy had retracted his statement and the investigation was over. But they also warned that Parker should be told to stop having boys on sleepovers at his home because it was unprofessional and inappropriate. Larry Forbes says whatever Steve Hovell told Parker, it wasn't effective. Parker was reinstated and the sleepovers resumed. Mr Forbes says the principal did not tell the Board of Trustees or the staff about the police warning and the letter was filed away with the confidential board minutes. He had a police letter saying very explicitly this is not appropriate behaviour for your deputy principal, you must stop it. And he did not stop it. The measures he took, which he claimed were, were uh, in his view, were adequate, proved demonstrably inadequate, and the abuse not only continued, it escalated. Parker's most serious offences of sexual violation were all committed after the 2009 investigation. As one judge has said, it was as if he now felt emboldened. But if the police had written to the teachers' council rather than the school, those three years of abuse might have been avoided. The council's director, Peter Lind, says the council would have investigated and made sure the school took firm action to protect the pupils. Well, we have a memorandum of understanding with New Zealand Police now and they alert us to um, issues, particularly when we apply for uh, police vets. They may not be an issue of a criminal conviction, but there may have been an incident that's occurred that they think we should be aware of.
particularly around issues of somebody having had been accused perhaps or had issues around dealing with children and young people. Despite the agreement, the police say they still don't always alert the Teachers' Council to concerns about teachers. Detective Dalzell says the police take their instruction on that from their legal section and he's recently had a case where he was advised not to pass on information. But there was another way in which the alarm might have been raised earlier at Pamapuria. The police letter and the board's confidential minutes were handed to the Education Review Office when it carried out its regular review of the school in 2010. The office says the reviewers saw the letter in a clear file, still in its police envelope, but did not read it. It says there was nothing in the minutes to alert them to any need to read it. The minutes said merely that the boys' allegations had been retracted and the police had closed their investigation. Ian Bamber, who later became the board chairman, says he finds that hard to credit. Now, if you're an auditor of anything, surely you would think the confidential minutes are going to going to tell you where the problems arise. You had back-to-back minutes, and the next page is a police envelope. Now, in one of the reports, it actually talks about the minutes referring to the police letter. Now, surely, if you were an auditor and you saw this, these minutes about an accusation to the, about the deputy principal of the school, and they were withdrawn, but it refers to a police letter... And then in the next page of the clear file, there's a police envelope. Wouldn't you just naturally look at it, like I did? And I'm not an auditor. But wouldn't you just naturally do that? Ian Bamber, whose wife taught with Parker, admits he himself failed to ask for the confidential board minutes when he was elected in 2011. He accepts that was a mistake. Whatever the errors and omissions of individuals and agencies, it's Stephen Hovell who has lost his job over the Parker affair. He was sacked in February for failing to ensure the safety of children in his care and the Employment Authority dismissed his subsequent appeal. Ian Bamber and Robin Shepherd believe it's unfair that Stephen Hovell lost his job when other agencies, including Eero, the police and Child, Youth and Family, were unable to detect or stop Parker's activities. Robin Shepherd, who's known Stephen Hovell for decades, says his old friend is a Christian who trusts people and looks for the good in them. But Larry Forbes says blind trust was not the only issue, and all the time Parker was at Pamapuria, the principal never formally appraised his deputy's performance. Schools are required to appraise staff members annually, and in Mr Parker's case, there was no written documentation of an appraisal having been completed for his entire time in the school. There is no evidence that any appraisal was done. Little bits and pieces were done, including on one year, Mr Parker completed a checklist of self-appraisal. But apart from that, we could find no evidence and nothing was provided by the school to refute that. Mr Forbes says the Education Review Office at the time accepted the school's assurance that the staff appraisals had been done. These days, he says, it asks schools for supporting evidence. The police were finally able to arrest Parker last year after one boy told his parents what was really happening at Uncle Jamie's and made a formal complaint to the police. Detective Mark Dalzell says it's immensely satisfying to have stopped Parker in his tracks at last, but any applause should be for that one boy who first broke the code of silence. I think that kudos is deserved by one boy 
for being able to come forward and tell his story. Because if it wasn't for him, then goodness knows where we would be today, where this would have stopped. Certainly, uh, personally, for me, it's one of the more significant things I've done in my uh, 25 years in the police, and I'm very happy that I've been able to bring this man to justice. Larry Forbes says he hears that most of the boys Parker abused have made a successful transition to high school and still have ongoing pastoral care and counselling as a group. But Anaheda Herbert says a number of the boys and their families are struggling with anger and guilt. She says some won't admit they were caught up in Parker's offending or accept any help, but feel exposed because he's named them. Ms Herbert says there's been one attempted suicide, some boys have taken to petty crime, others have become promiscuous with girls because they've been taunted about being gay by other youngsters. She says one religious family punished their son severely for coming home with a love bite from his girlfriend and others have urged their sons to forgive Parker. That's one of the things that really annoys me about some of our, I call them unthinking Christians. You know, Christ was not unthinking but these unthinking Christians that go straight to the forgiveness mantra and set a, a, a kind of metaphorical t- stopwatch on these victims and like, have you got there yet? Have you forgiven yet? You know, forgiveness is really good for you. Get off the grass. Wairiti Walters says she feels deeply angry that Parker used kapahaka to lure boys into his circle. She says he's stolen tikanga, the Māori way of doing things, and defiled it. Mrs Walters, who advises the school, had hoped to use tikanga to heal the boys. She's had a collection of korowai made, and each cloak has a name representing an emotion. She wanted to get the boys together as a group and to use the cloaks to enfold them and help them talk. But the school said no, it already had plenty of counsellors. If I had the chance to counsel, I would have talked about the meaning of a korowai. It's about warmth, it's about there, look, whakama. I've got all the words on there. I would have them all up, and you pick out which one you want to talk about. So the idea for me was this to talk about the meaning of a koroi. It's something warm, something embracing, and protection. Protection for yourself. However, when you look at the word whakama, that means you're embarrassed. Why are you embarrassed? Because this terrible thing happened to me. Yes, but it was not your fault. Patsy Henderson says if there's one thing the boys need to know, that's it. Some of the most damaging things, results of sexual abuse like that, is when he teaches kids and shows them how to make their bodies perform in a way that is almost beyond their control. And then they think, well, actually, I can't blame him because I was part of it. It feeds into that whole thing, it's not that bad. I'm not hurting the kids, it's not that bad. You're actually hurting them enormously. You're introducing him to a behaviour that you had no right to introduce him to, that it was that boy's right to find out when he was ready. But the worst thing of all is Parker did it for his own enjoyment. I'm Lois Williams and that's Insight for this week. If you'd like to contact us, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz or send us a tweet at rnz underscore insight. I wrote and presented that programme. It was produced by Philippa Tolley with technical production by Steve Burridge.